Good morning to everyone. You guys are the the on top of it ones in that you remembered to set your clock forward. So if the door opens as I'm finishing today, don't turn around and make them feel bad. They just forgot to set their clock forward and they'll be rolling in about 1025 or so. But you guys are ahead of the game, and so kudos to you. <clears throat> just, just real quick this morning, um, for those of you in high school, you should be able to relate. For those of you out of high school, please go back in your mind to your high school days. For some of you, that's a ways back. <clears throat> so maybe for you, you know, high school is this um, social um, event in where you are, if you're not careful, you find yourself comparing yourself to others. And I was no different, and high school was back in the 80s. Um, there, there was times, there were times that I found myself, you know, in comparison and saying, oh, I wish I was more like that person or this person or this person. And maybe in your high school, you had one person who you wanted to be more like, for whatever reason, they, they dressed good, or they were popular, or they got good grades. Well, I had someone that I went to school with in, in a similar situation. And, you know, when, when the guys hit like 13 or 14, Brad, we decided it would be a good time to start working out because we wanted to look good. You know, I didn't really care before that. But about 13, 14, I was like, man, I would really like to look good. And uh, it didn't work out so well for me or for a handful of the other guys. But there was one guy in our group that he was just put together and all the girls knew it and all the guys knew it. And um, I remember going up to him and saying, what are you doing, man? And he said, nothing. It was, you know, genetics. He was just, just you know, stocky and put together, real good looking guy. And so he was the guy that, I was glad to be friends with, but secretly I was jealous of, okay? So fast forward to today, he walks in the front doors and he's here this morning. And so, Tim Wagner, it's good to have you here this morning and your lovely wife, Lorraine. <laughs> oh my gosh, and I told him, I said, I could just scrap this whole sermon and we could just reminisce. I could just tell you stories of this guy and the times that we had. But, uh, Tim, I am just so glad you're here this morning. I hope you're just feeling welcome here. Um, pastor had surgery this past week, and yesterday he and I were texting, and he said, I, you know, I don't know when I'll get there. I, I am planning to come tomorrow, uh, but I'll get there probably real close to time to start. And I pulled in at 7.55, and he was already here. <laughs> and he had been here for quite a while, so... Uh, your pastor loves you dearly, and it's so hard to keep him away from anything going on in the facility. But he's here this morning. Surgery went well. He looks better than I feel this morning. <laughs> but I'm thankful that he's here. I'd like to talk to you guys for a few minutes this morning. Uh, the, the, the title of my message is The Parade in the Garden. We find ourselves just a few weeks away from Easter, and there were many events that led up to the account of Jesus' crucifixion and then later his resurrection. 
And we find a couple of those accounts that I'd like to just discuss with you guys this morning. One is the parade, the triumphal entry, and the other is the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Jenny and I just got back uh, this week, and, and Ad and I, we went over to uh, Warrensburg to Central Missouri State University and spent a week over there at student convention. As many of you know, um, for years involved in Christian education, it was something that, uh, that we did. And even after we've moved on from the school, it's something that we're still involved in. We kind of have a commitment there, and it's just such a great time to spend a week with Christian high school students uh, from around our area. So there were 200 kids there. There were 350 total people, and we just had a great week. Um, I've also had the privilege of judging at international student convention. And this is when students from all around the world come for a week of competition. And one year at international student convention where there were thousands of teenagers, and many of them you really don't um, understand very well because their English is a little broken because they're from Russia or from places over in Europe or from uh, I was going to say Australia. You can kind of understand Australians a little bit. They, they have a little bit of an accent. Um, we, I was judging one-act plays. This is a huge event. So we had 50 one-act plays come before us that week. And one school stood out to the point that if something stands out to you as a judge, you tell those in power, and they say, let's put it in front of the entire assembly. It's called a command performance. And so that night before church begins, they get to do their skit, their play, their speech in front of thousands of people. They broadcast it online. And so this one school stood out to me and the two other judges, and we were excited to tell them, you guys have earned a command performance. What an honor. They were overwhelmed with joy. They couldn't believe it. Their sponsor was jumping up and down. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And, and as we prepared that night to get all their props ready, and, you know, it's like this big countdown video is on. We know we're going to go live in just a few minutes. And I'm helping them get things ready to take out on stage. The celebration was at an all-time high. They were so pumped. Their school was so excited. The crowd was very excited because they're like, something's going on down there on stage. We're going to see this today. And as they were introduced, and they went out on the stage and began to perform in front of the thousands, another principal from a, a different school grabbed me. And so I'm engaged in this. I'm like, oh, hey, what's, what's up? And he's like, I want to talk to you. <laughs> you heard that too? It's like, yeah, yeah, what can I do? You know, I mean, I'm trying to help and be there and encourage. <clears throat> we're all excited. And he said, there's a dumb rule in those guidelines and those one-act plays. I said, uh-huh, okay. Yeah, yeah, they shouldn't have to put their lighting in. It, there's just a bunch of rules you have to follow in order to be in, in the game. One of them is you have to have your lighting in a certain area. It can't branch out too far. And there, his school had branched out too far. And he's like, you know that's a dumb rule. Said, Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I think they should change that, and here's why. And then he just began to unload on me. I wasn't even, like, I was one of three judges. He just found me. And it was amazing how quickly the celebration 
turned into this real heavy moment where he was venting as this great one act was being displayed for these thousands of people. And I thought to myself how true that is in our lives. We can go from the heights and the celebration and the accolades and all is good. That quick, your phone can ring and things can change. There's a knock at the door. Something comes across your desk and the celebration turns into a time of sadness. See, Jesus showed us firsthand how to deal with those situations. So I have titled this sermon, The Parade and the Garden. So I'd like to just read a few verses for you guys this morning. And for those of you who have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to read verses 7 through 10. It'll be up on the screen if you do not have a Bible. Mark chapter 11, verse 7, all the way through verse 10. The Bible says, And they brought a colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, which is the colt, and he, Jesus, sat on him. And many spread their garments in the way, and and others cut down branches off the trees and laid them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And I think about our Easter production and how grand that scene was when Jesus came into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. Now, in your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 26. I'll begin reading in verse 38. Matthew chapter 26, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. Verse 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves, and the chief priest and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. I think of you, Jay, every time I read that verse. The same as he, arrest him. Forthwith, verse 49, he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. Verse 50, Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Another translation is, Do what you came for. Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and took him. Verse 56, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Guys, in the, in the just short amount of time that we have this morning, I'd like for us to look at the differences and the similarities between the parade and the garden. Because we will all experience these types of contrasts in our lives. And I'm sure this morning you can already relate to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and how quickly things can change and how often emotions are overwhelming as we walk through this. So the first thing I saw as I'm looking at the parade in the garden is this. The parade may occur. The garden will. Let me explain that. The parade is when everyone is patting you on the back, telling you how 
good you are, how awesome it is to have you in their life, what a great job you've done, and they build you up. And maybe you're thinking, that never happens to me. No one ever really puts that kind of, of spotlight on me. And it's because the parade may come. It's not a given. You may walk through this life, sadly, unappreciated. You may not get the parade that you deserve. And as I look at you guys, there are so many of you that are like behind-the-scenes people. You don't have the, the ministry or the job or the task of coming up here and being seen in front of everyone. But as pastor, be the, be the first to tell you, without you, the church hurts. You are integral. But you may not get the thank you that you deserve. I look at Nancy back there. Nancy's faithful to come in and work at the coffee shop. She and Mike do that. But many of you don't even know who Nancy is. She's probably not getting the proper pat on the back that she deserves. And it's, it's not just her. It's just we all kind of have that feeling at times. The parade may occur. But here's the sad truth. The garden will. Many of you are walking through a garden experience right now. The Bible says that they all forsook him. He was alone. And you feel the heaviness of the garden. And I say the garden will occur with a definite yes. And here's why I know that. John 16.33 says this, Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, trouble, trials, stress, worry, anxiety, sickness. It's coming. It's there. He didn't say you might. He said you will have tribulation. But then he followed it up with the best news ever. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. See, if your peace is in Jesus, you can look like Linda in the midst of the garden. You can know that you serve a God who's got it. He didn't take the day off. He didn't fall off the throne. He's not out golfing. He's fully aware of your situation, and he is there with you in the midst of the garden. Even when you are forsaken by all and you feel alone, God is with you. His promise is, I have overcome the world, and so you should be of good cheer. The second thing I see in this similarity and in in the contrast is the parade includes strangers but the garden includes a friend. And that's what makes the garden the garden. David said this in Psalm 41, 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate, bread, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. That's the betrayal that is felt because it's done with a friend. It's done by a friend. See, your parade may hold people that you've never met. It was interesting this week, you know, as things uh, transpired at student convention. You know, there were times that I would look at Jenny and I'd say, I don't know who those people are. They would come up to us and say, great job. Thank you so much for, for helping in the platform division. And thank you for what you said. And thank you for what you did. And, and they walk, I go, you're welcome. Who was that? Did you know who they were? I don't have a clue who they were. Because pats on the back sometimes come from people that, that you don't know. And they're shouting your praises and they're saying good job. And that's what Jesus experienced as he came in that day. The Bible says many put palm branches along the road 
Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're the one, you're the Messiah. We look to you, all hail King Jesus. Those are good times. But when you find yourself in the garden, you're with Judas. See, a stranger can never betray you. Only a friend. David went on to say in Psalm 118.8, it is better to put trust in the Lord. It is better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in man. Oh my, if we could get a hold of this. A pastor, he has said it many times, he could write a book on his ministry and his life. Because of the times that you feel like Man, all is good, and I can trust this person, and I can trust this person. I know they got my back, and then they don't. <clears throat> and David saw this in his own life, and he wrote these words. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Oh, I'm not trying to down others. I'm not even trying to down myself. We're all human, so we walk in this arena of being flawed. But if I put all my faith and trust in my good friend Jeremy, I would love to say he'd never let me down. I'd love to say he'd never turn his back on me, but I don't have that assurance because he's human. But God isn't. God isn't like you, and he's not like me. Where we're flawed, he is faithful. We sang about it this morning. All your promises are yes and amen. The parade includes strangers. The garden includes a friend. Well, the parade will test your reputation. But the garden will test your character. Let me give you a little bit of definition this morning. Reputation is what others think of you. And so many of us are very concerned about that. And not, not that we shouldn't to a certain extent. You know, Pastor and I were talking... I feel like I've already referenced you a thousand times today, and I'm sorry. But I've, I, we were talking a while back just about decisions we make, and he was going to make a decision, and he said, you know what, I'm not going to make that decision just because of, of the way that it looks. And it was a fine decision. But he said, I'm not even going to make that decision. I'm going to go over here because of who I am and the position that I hold. And see, so that's reputation. That's what others think of you. But your character is what God knows about you. Reputation happens in the light. Character happens in the dark. What are you thinking? What are you saying? Where are you living when the lights go out? Oh, it's fine we come in on Sunday and we can all put on a here we go to church face. But what do you look like on Saturday night? Where am I on Saturday night and Friday night? It's something that, that we need to ask ourselves because our reputation is important, but it's not near as important as our character. That's who we are when no one's watching. That's the, I could walk past and take a whole bunch of money here and no one would ever know. But that's not who I am because my God would know. And I want to be able to put my head on my pillow at night knowing that I've walked in integrity because that's my character. That's who I am when no one's watching. The parade and the garden have this in common. Neither change God's plan for your life. 
if you're in the midst of the parade, hallelujah, I'm happy for you. If you're in the midst of the garden, I'm praying for you. But neither change what God has for you. And it's a very interesting verse I'd like to draw your attention to. John 21, 22. This is one of my favorite little accounts that has a tad bit of humor in it. But Jesus has resurrected and he's meeting with his disciples. And in the midst of that, he calls Peter aside. And he tells Peter three times, feed my sheep. And asking Peter if he loves him. And in the midst of Peter answering Jesus, he looks over and he sees John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Peter said, well, if, I mean, you want me to feed your sheep and you've asked me if, if I love you, but what about John? And Jesus says this in verse 22 of chapter 21 of John. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? It almost sounds a little harsh. He was basically saying that's none of your business. Your call remains the same. And he said it in the last words there. You follow me. Well, yeah, but look what they're getting away with. That doesn't matter. You follow me. Well, did you hear what they said? And do you see where they go? And you see how they live? It doesn't matter. You follow me. Well, well what about... What about, what about, don't, you can't live in the what abouts and the what ifs. God speaking directly to you this morning as he spoke to Peter that day. Your call remains, follow me. Famous preacher once said, once this, even if the stars fall from heaven, do right, follow God, obey his word, seek his face. It doesn't matter what the world is. Look what the world's doing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change your call. We don't change the message of the gospel because it's 2023, okay? If it's wrong because the Bible says it's wrong, guess what? It's wrong. If it's right, guess what? It's right. We don't sugarcoat it because the times have changed. His plan for us is still to prosper and be in health, to walk in his goodness, to obey his voice, and to follow him. Neither change God's plan for you. Both are seasonal. Hallelujah. Now, I can't tell you how long your season's going to be. If you're in the midst of the parade, you want it to last forever. You want people to pat you on the back till the dogs come home. You want to be numero uno and get all the accolades? That's, that's just our, our nature. I don't know how long that'll last, but it's seasonal. If you're in the midst of the garden and things are junky right now and you feel all alone and no one else understands, then that's one of the biggest lies that the enemy will tell you. No one knows what you're going through. You're the only one. It's just you you are isolated on an island. Everyone else is living the Facebook fantasy and you are all by yourself. Don't you feel sad and defeated and alone? It's a lie. Because all of us could take our turns this morning with the microphone and come up here and we all have stuff in our lives. We all have battles. My battle is not your battle. Yours isn't mine. The good news is it's, seasonal. 
Ecclesiastes 3.1 says to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And so don't get too excited if you're in the midst of the parade because it won't last forever. Don't bottom out too low in the midst of the garden because it won't last forever. My dad would tell me growing up, he said, ah, John, jump as high as you want or be as low as life takes you. But when you get up, walk straight. And it meant so much to me because there are those church services where we're jumping over the pews and we're all excited and God is good and God is great. And there are other times where we're at home in our bedroom and we don't even want to open the door to start the day. It doesn't matter how high you fly or how low you go. Just when that season's over, go straight. Fly straight. Timothy was exhorted by Paul in 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul said, preach the word and be instant or consistent or faithful in season and out of season because there are seasons. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And this is the only note that I really had in here that I, I was going to reference, Pastor. So every other reference hasn't been in my notes, just Holy Spirit led. But I read this verse, and we get all ticked at people that are over us, whether it's our parent, our boss, our teacher, or our pastor, because there are times that correction is direction. And because pastor loves us, he may be like, hey, Kevin, you know, I know that's your decision, but because I love you, I just want to let you know that's probably not God's best for your life. I don't know if you fully thought about this and if there's true wisdom in that decision. There may be a time of reproving. There may be even a time, I'm sorry, I'm just reading the word, where it says rebuke, where he may be like, don't do that. That's wrong. You're getting off into a level of sin, and this is wrong. That's pastor's job. Don't get ticked at him. It's in the Bible. He is to reprove, rebuke, and then exhort. He's to cheerlead and let you know what a blessing you are and how you can do this and how God's got you in this spot. He's, you're in the palm of his hand and you can do this and you can get through it. With all long suffering, that means he's patient with us. See, this is what Paul is telling Timothy as a young pastor. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and proper doctrine. You know, if you come up to pastoring, you're like, I just really feel like God's calling me to leave my wife and go have an affair and he's really, I feel like he's calling me to get on drugs. I just feel that. God, God just wants me to be a drug addict. And, and pastor in love be like, um, I can't find that anywhere in here. And I don't know what spirit you're listening to, but that's not the Holy Spirit of God. He's not going to lead you where you don't need to be. That's proper doctrine. For him to be like, well, that's fine. We all make mistakes. Do what feels good. Just be you. That's terrible advice. Both are seasonal. Well, the parade will test your pride, and the garden will test your persistence. Oh, how easy it is, especially in ministry, to feel the parade and the accolades and the, hey, high five, good job, that was just great. And walk around and think you're just all that. And see, Jesus was the only one ever who had reasons to be 
correct in the way he responded in pride because he was all that. And he knew what his job was. But even as they came in and shouted to him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, he knew that this was a time of testing just as the garden would be a time of testing. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I've heard it said, and I've even said it before from this pulpit, but you know, it would, this resisting, I just feel like at arm's length. You come to God in your pride that you're all that? He goes, yep, you just, right there. You're fine, right there. But he gives grace to the humble. And I can't speak for you, but I need as much grace as I can possibly get from God. It's his unmerited favor, not the things that, that I'm doing to walk in blessing. I just need his grace because every day can be hard relationships can be hard. Your, your job, your situation, your season, it can be hard. And I don't want to be prideful. I want to realize that the parade will test my pride, but the garden will test my persistence. Paul said this in Philippians 4, verse 11, not that I'm speaking and being of need, for I've learned in whatsoever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In, ev in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then verse 13, I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. David said in Psalm 19, 14, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing and favorable in your sight, O Lord. You're my strength and my Redeemer. The persistence of the follower of Christ. I think about Jacob. If you guys know the story of Jacob, one night he had a, a vision, and it was, it was very literal. And the angel of the Lord came, and Jacob said, I'm not letting you leave until you bless me. And the Bible says they wrestled all night. This angel was in physical form, and so Jacob said, you ain't going anywhere until you bless me. And they wrestled all night. And the Bible tells us that at the end of the wrestling match, the angel touched the hollow of Jacob's hip and threw it out of place. And the rest of Jacob's life, he walked with a limp. As a reminder that his persistence paid off because his name was changed that night from Jacob to Israel. And he became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel and a great patriarch of our faith. Your persistence, God, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. God, your word is true. Your promises are yes and amen. I will be persistent. I will be like the lady that you talked about in the New Testament that went to the king day after day and said, I've left for a while and my land is gone, but now I'm back and that land belongs to me. And he said, leave me alone. You're old and you're naggy. But the Bible says she came back day after day after day until at last the king said, I'm not going to give you your land because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to give you your land because I'm tired of you. Because you're so persistent, your importunity is driving me crazy, and so here's your land. Now that's not the picture so much of God's heart, but it is a little bit in how we live our life and how we approach God in the midst of our garden. We need to be persistent. God, thank you that you're my strength and you're going to get me through this.
the parade shouts, I'm with you, and the garden sneers, you're all alone. Matthew 26, 56 says, all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples forsook him and fled. And it's challenging, I think, in any walk of life, what job you have, the relationship you're in, the position that you have. People will say, I got your back. I'm with you 110%. Whatever you have in mind, you can count on me. I'm a friend that'll never leave you. I'm a friend that I'll never gossip about you. I'll be right there with you no matter what. Yeah, all right, I can face the world. But in the season of the parade comes the season of the garden where you find yourself alone. On your knees, on your face before your father. And you feel like that your sweat is like great drops of blood. And you're saying, Father, if it's possible, let there be another way. Please get me back in the parade. But God, it's not all about me. It's not my will. It's your choice for me. The last point. The parade emphasizes celebration. But the garden emphasizes surrender. Someone had said to me recently, and it really stuck with me, the greatest word in the Christian walk is surrender. Nobody can be more stubborn than me. I walk in it's my way or the highway mentality so often. Oh, it better go this way. It better happen this way. If you don't side with me, I have no use for you. And that's not what Jesus showed us. In the garden, what did he pray? Not my will. Not my will. Going a little farther, with his face to the ground, he prayed, my father, if it be possible, make this cup pass and be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. To surrender. See, I really believe that if we as the church lived more in the arena of surrender, we wouldn't be experiencing a lot of the trouble that God never intended for us to go through. The division, the strife, the my way or the highway mentality. What does he want? He wants your surrender. There was a missionary who had been on the field for years and he struggled and he gave all and when he came back home to America there was no one there no one there to greet him no one there to celebrate his 30 years of mission work but yet right across the way a soldier had come back from being overseas for just a couple years and family and friends and the town had gathered to welcome him back. 
And the missionary said, God, where's my parade? Where's my celebration? And he said, the father leaned in close to me and said, son, you're not home yet. Sadly, you may not get the parade. Sadly, you will have the garden. Regardless of what season you're in, realize you're not home yet. But while we're here, God is big enough to handle your parade. And he's big enough to handle your garden. And he's big enough in the midst of the good, the bad, and the ugly because he loves you greatly. And he proved it by stretching his hands out and letting Roman soldiers drive spikes through his hands. He said, I love them. I will pay their price. And when I look at the cross, I say, God, you're big. And when I look at the empty tomb, I say, God, you're bigger than I thought. You're so big, you're able to handle. So this morning, I want you to know that. Wherever you find yourself, most of us would probably say we're in the midst of the garden. God is there. He knows. He loves you. Let this time this morning, as we stand and sing, let this be a time of saying, God, I surrender to you. I trust you. Where I am, where I'm going to be, where I came from, God, I trust you. God, you're big. You're big enough. And I trust you.
You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought. So I stop all negotiations with the God of all creation. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought you were. God, we celebrate your greatness. The fact that you're big. God, we're not. But we're more than conquerors when we align ourselves with you. God, thank you this morning. Your word is true. Your promises are yes and amen. God, whatever season of life we are in, whether we're getting cheered on or we feel all alone, God, it doesn't change your call for us. We are to follow you and surrender. So God, may we trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I speak life and blessings and favor over your people. Bring us back to the appointed time. Bless our week and help us to be good witnesses of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Remember deacons. There is a deacons meeting right now. Everyone else have a great week. You are dismissed.